Welcome to Damn It Jim, the podcast. My name is Dana Smith. I'm here with Dan Calzaretta. And tonight we're going to talk about season one, episode five of Star Trek, the original series, The Enemy Within. Good evening, Dan. Hey, Dana. How are you tonight? Pretty good. Nice uh, 96 degree night here in Colorado. So, <laughs> Yeah, we had about the same in Walla Walla, Washington. I'm post-COVID officially feeling better. I, th- I figured, you know, heck, if I had been on the Enterprise, they easily could have zapped me with something to kill the COVID, I would think. Tear your shirt sleeve and give you a shot. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, should we jump into this episode? Another interesting story, and it's a take on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that's one of the things I thought immediately. It's it's pretty obvious. The writer of this episode actually said that's where the inspiration came from. Richard Matheson, who's who was the writer of this, that was his whole idea. It was that Kirk could become a... Uh, we'd see both sides of him, the good and the bad. And we sure do in this episode. Oh, the real bad. Well, you know, I guess the other way to look at this episode, it would be interesting someone who was trained in in psychology to look at the id and the uh, superego. Yeah, that's uh, it's funny because at one point McCoy and Spock are kind of discussing it and I was expecting one of them to say that, but they don't. We start off orbiting planet Alpha 177 and it's funny, it's spelled A-L-F-A 177. I, I just assumed it was A-L-P-H-A. Well, at first I looked at it and I was like, wait, is that Alfalfa? Is the yeah. name of the planet Alfalfa? <laughs> so anyway, there's a technician, Fisher, who who uh, is down on the planet with Sulu and Kirk and uh, three or four other guys. Fisher's climbing up a rock and slips and falls and hurts his hand. He's got yellow dust all over him, and they transport him back just to have McCoy look at him. Now, don't you think they would have had a first aid kit on the planet to at least wrap that thing up? I mean, it's bleeding all over the place. He's got who knows what kind of yellow dust in there. Kirk's just like, oh, you okay? Look at Let's look at that. Well, as we saw in the last episode, they're not big on uh, you know personal protection of equipment so, <laughs> so uh, or how to use it. So I'm sure that first aid kits are a thing of the past as well. I'm waiting for the OSHA ship to uh, show up, pull up alongside of them. And-, <laughs> and you would also think that every landing party would have some type of medical technician with them, maybe not the doctor, but they'd have some yeah. kind of med tech or some way to at least clean that thing out. Come on. You don't want them bleeding all over the transporter. So the, he beams back up and Scotty doesn't decontaminate him on the transporter, but says, send him to sick bay for decontamination protocols. So walk down the hall, however far that is a sick base, <laughs> spreading whatever you got all over the ship. And they had a little problem bringing him aboard ship. They don't think much of it. And then Kirk is coming up. Same kind of problem with the transporter. It's a little bit difficult getting him back onto the ship. He seems a little woozy when he gets off the transporter pad. Scotty goes to him, talking to him, says, we should get you to the sick bay. And he's like, well, I'll be okay. They go out the door. He says, Kirk says something to the effect of, don't leave the transporter unattended. But Scotty's like, it's my transporter. Order, you know, do what I want and escorts Kirk out. A moment later, the transporter works again and we see Kirk on the transporter pad. And you can tell right away it's not the good Captain Kirk.
Kurt. Yeah, I think two things show that. One was the lighting and yep. two was the eyeliner. <laughs> yeah, they did uh, give him a little bit heavier eyeliner and make his eyes look a little bit more deviant. And I had a little bit of problem with that whole scene because I know that they had to leave the transporter room to get the plot to move along. You know, like you said, Kirk tells him, oh, you know, don't leave the transporter unattended. Well, why not, for one? And two, you know, if that was really the protocol, I mean, he already sent Fisher down to sickbay by himself bleeding all over the place. <laughs> and Kirk is just a little woozy. So why wouldn't he just send the captain down on his own? Well, he's the captain. You always want to, you know, give the captain a little extra. You know, maybe Scotty was due for a review. Um, uh <laughs> One of the other things is that when they're on the planet and Sulu's there and Sulu is carrying around a dog, the dog has a horn on the middle of its head, kind of like a unicorn horn. And then it also has like antennae sticking out of its neck. And a weird, weird tail. Looks like a armadillo tail. It's not what Um, you consider a good looking dog. (laughs) I didn't get if the dog was there on the planet or if that was another one of Sulu's side projects along with botany and (laughs) fencing. And I think Sulu's got a lot of free time on his hands. I think uh, you're right. You know, maybe before he beamed down, he's like, hey, hey, Scotty, I got to walk the dog, man. You got to send him down with me because this dog is driving me crazy. He's peeing all over the plants in the botany section, barking, keep me up at night. We got to, he's got to go for a walk. You know, here's the other thing. So he's carrying this dog, which is, I I think the dog was on the planet. That was my assumption, but he's just carrying the dog. I mean, isn't there something called the prime directive? Are you not supposed to (laughs) interfere with life forms? I mean, I can see a plant, right? Maybe that's not a big deal. You harvest some plants, you take those up to the ship, but an animal? Although the Prime Directive hasn't been introduced yet into the show, and I don't know where when that happens. Do you remember when that happened? No, and even when it does, they trounce all over the Prime Directive. Oh, all over it. I mean, they they just treat it like a rug. (laughs) Yeah, that's absolutely uh, true. (laughs) The Prime what? (laughs) The other thing too, Dana, was the dog didn't receive any credits, and now it seems like in most shows, if there's an animal, it gets some type of recognition. That poor dog, man, nothing. Yeah, and they stick a horn on his head and antenna on its back and a weird tail. I think yeah. that dog deserved a little attention. But And who knows back in the day how they had to do that? I mean, was it a staple gun? A hot glue gun? Yeah. Hot gun. <laughs> <laughs> Beyond the dog, Kirk goes to his quarters and we see the bad Kirk kind of roaming the halls. He goes into sickbay where Fisher is uh, down a quart of blood and being treated by uh, McCoy. <laughs> and he says, uh, sorry and brandy. And McCoy's treating Fisher and he's like, you know, kind of looks back like, yeah, you know, okay, so Jim's on a bender or whatever. Keeps working with Fisher, and he said, Bad Kirk says, Sorry, I'm Brandy. What can I do for you, Jim? I said, give me the brandy! Little did Kirk know that he was like within inches of it. McCoy slides back a little panel and there's a bottle of sorry and brandy. <laughs> gives that to bad Kirk. Kirk just downs some right out of the bottle. Doesn't ask for a glass or anything. It gives us a better idea what kind of beast this person is. No manners. And then uh, he just stumbles out of the uh, out of sick bay with the bottle. And McCoy just kind of watches him go. And just lets him go. I mean, don't you yeah, think he'd be like, um, Jim's not acting like he normally acts. Maybe... <laughs> He needs to have someone to talk to. Maybe he really wanted that dog for himself. So then we see Kirk in the hall and he's kind of got this evil look about him. It's bad Kirk. Cut back to uh, good Kirk in his cabin. And without a shirt, I should say again. Oh yeah, Kirk is without a shirt. Sorry to interrupt you, but I I just had a thought. Maybe we shouldn't only be keeping track of the dead crewman count, but we should be (laughs) keeping track of shirtless Kirk count. I think you've got something there. I think we've seen something from him in every episode, haven't we? 
we? Well, something where he's either burying a shoulder or his shirt gets ripped. Do we count just ripped shirts or do we? does he have to be naked from the waist up? He goes without his shirt quite often because he usually gets ripped in a fight. Shirtless and or ripped where some muscle is exposed. We go back to uh, Kirk's quarters and Spock is in there and he says uh, Spock is telling him that uh, McCoy told Spock that Kirk was acting rather strangely and that Spock had come to check on him. Kirk just kind of says, well, I think the doctor's pulling your leg. Spock kind of like raises an eyebrow and doesn't seem to think a whole lot more about it. And then we go back to Bad Kirk out in the hall, kind of staggering down the hall, swilling brandy. And then he comes upon Yeoman Rand's cabin. Yeah. And when he's in the hall and no one seems to, to think, and did he <laughs> pass any crew members? Because yeah, he, he, I mean, a couple of crew members passed by, but I, mean, I think they're talking and whatever, not necessarily paying attention to him. But you know, this uh, is the captain coming down the hall. You would think they'd come to attention or something. And not only that, he's got this bottle of the Saurian brandy just chugging it down. Another day on the Enterprise. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he stops at uh, Yeoman Rand's cabin. And in case you want this for trivia, uh, her cabin number is 3C46. We don't know exactly what the numbers mean. Well, we, uh, we need to probably take a look at the schematic of the ship and see how that's laid out. Kirk enters Rand's cabin. And she's by the way, he just, she's he just walks in, right? It's not locked. As the captain, does he have the key to everyone's quarters or what? how does that work? Yeah, I think he's just got that magnetic personality that uh, opens doors. <laughs> that's so. it just opens every door. And she's not in there, as I said. And he's kind of like looking around and she's got some really bad oil paintings or something that looks like she's working on. Nothing against her, but she's not an artist and she shouldn't quit her day job. So, uh. <laughs> Yeah, apparently that was part of her backstory that she liked to produce art. And But you're right, it was really bad. It'd be interesting to know where are those paintings now? Probably in somebody's trash bin. Uh, just, uh, <laughs> they were that bad. I mean, I'm surprised she, she didn't throw them out. We cut back to Rand. She's messing with her hair and Bad Kirk comes around and says We've both been pretending too long. Stop pretending. Let's stop pretending. Come here, James. Don't fight me. Don't fight me, James. And then he kisses her. And he doesn't just kiss her. He tries to swallow her face. I mean, it was yeah. one of the most aggressive kisses I think we've ever seen in Star Trek. Well, know. and this whole scene is really pretty disturbing. I mean, and oh. I'm not going to make light of it at all because he is attacking her, sexually assaulting her. Kirk falls on her and has her pinned and then uh, she scratches his face and then she gets away from him and he backs up by the door and the door opens up and Fisher happens to be passing by and she says, go get Mr. Spock. Help. Bad Kirk looks at Rand and then runs after Fisher. And Fisher mm-hmm. gets to one of the hallway intercoms. And uh, just when he's starting to say something, Kirk jumps on him and hits him. And then when Fisher goes down, Kirk hits him again. And then he pulls up and runs off. Next, we see Spock again in Kirk's quarters. And uh, he is talking to uh, Kirk and saying that Yeoman Rand was attacked by Kirk. And mm-hmm. Kirk is saying, you know, I was in my quarters. I haven't left here all day. And she swears that it was you. She said she scratched your face. Kirk's like, there's no scratches on my face. And so then Mm -hmm. he says, uh, well, let's go see Dr. McCoy and we'll figure this out. So the next thing is that they're in uh, Yeoman Rand's quarters. And I've got issues with this scene as well. Uh, It's, you know, Spock, Kirk, and McCoy all standing over uh, Yeoman Rand, who's seated. They're 
kind of grilling her. She kept saying, you did this to me. You did this to me. And uh, she says, and I scratched your face. And again, he's like, I don't have any scratches on my face. And she's like, well, sure, I scratched you. And they kind of are looking at her like they don't believe her. Again, this is supposed to be futuristic and a caring society. And I would think they would have at least had Nurse Chapel with her or something. Good point. Uh, you Good know, point. some other female, somebody she could talk to. But again, it just it made me feel like they were placing the blame on Rand and that maybe right. she was making it up. Meanwhile, we're learning that they're afraid to beam anybody up. Scotty shows Kirk that he beamed up that dog. So there's the good dog. And then he goes over <laughs> to a case and opens up this case. And there's a snarling, want to tear your face off dog. That dog just looked evil, man. I don't know what they had to do to get that dog to yeah. growl like that. But oh, oh my gosh. Man. Yeah. I don't know how they got him in the case. But uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. There's they never probably, really. <laughs> there's probably another dead crewman we're not aware of. I'm surprised, you know, uh, Scotty just didn't open the doors to, to the transporter room and say, yeah, head down to the vet's office. Uh, let, let the vet check you out. Both of you scurry along. Kirk and Spock kind of exchange glances. And, uh, and it's kind of funny. Spock now is like Kirk's, he's on his hip the whole time. Spock is keeping a close eye on him. I need uh, to go back to this dog thing. Sorry, I can't let this dog thing go. So you mentioned that the one dog's in like a kennel. A cage yeah. in the transporter room. Okay, so do they just have these cages around for in case the evil dog beams up from someplace? <laughs> Where did they get this cage? How did they get the dog in it? Or maybe he's got some little sausages that he keeps underneath the council there for when he gets hungry. He's like, oh yeah, <laughs> or this, for this when they work. beam up a bad dog. Yeah, that's a <laughs> or or specifically for the. <laughs> yeah, they say they can't bring up anybody else from the planet, and Sulu and three other workers crewmen are down there. Kirk makes a comment that. At night, the temperature will get down to negative 176 degrees on the planet. Which uh, wouldn't you think that would kill someone pretty quickly? Yeah, you'd be a popsicle. They are becoming Klondike bars very quickly. Yeah. So anyway, they go back, get back to uh, Kirk, and he tells Spock there has to be an imposter on board. Spock says, uh, well, form search parties. We'll find him. Kirk, we really start to see a change in him. And he's like, we can't hurt him. Spock says, no, because we don't know what that would do to you. Kirk seems meeker, uh, having a little bit of a hard time making decisions. And uh, and now they also say, set the phasers on setting one. Yeah, setting one basic, I think. Set, is yeah, I think you're right. Setting one basic. Which I've never heard uh, since, I don't think. Have you? Do you I think they decided that's, you know, why don't you say set it for stun? Yeah, exactly right. Why you know, the whole get to the basic point. thing? <laughs> you know, By the way, I, I have to say, I, I really think the whole phaser thing is pretty ingenious. And this idea that there could be a stun setting, I think is yeah. really pretty thoughtful when you think about weaponry that would have been used on television before this, which would have been what? World War II movies and, and Westerns. the Westerns. Back on the bridge. And Kirk is now wearing the infamous or famous, however you want to look at, green top. Good Kirk. The Good Kirk is wearing the green top that kind of uh, fastens around the waist. I like that uniform. So anyway, uh, and this is done primarily to differentiate between Good Kirk and Bad Kirk because mm -hmm. Bad Kirk is wearing the gold top. Good Kirk is wearing the green. They're saying that uh, Kirk makes an announcement to the crew. His original idea was to let them know that you know he's falling apart and there's a Bad Kirk on, on the ship. And Spock <laughs> yeah. says, you can't do that. You're the captain and the captain cannot be flawed. Which Kirk is really a much different than future captains right? 
Yeah. If we look at Picard, they would see admitting to flaws as probably a strength as, as opposed to a weakness. And I think that this is, again, straight from the 60s. The person in charge cannot show their weaknesses. Kirk makes an announcement. There's an imposter aboard the ship. man who looks exactly like me and is pretending to be me. This man is dangerous. Utmost caution is to be observed. All crew members are to arm themselves. The imposter may be identified by scratches on his face. And then we cut back and we see the uh, bad Kirk again in Kirk's quarters. And he starts flipping out. Oh, he yeah. Is, he uh, goes nuts. And he's screaming. And a predecessor to uh, the scream for Khan. Yeah, he was just warming up. Yeah. <laughs> On the bridge, when the good Kirk makes the announcement, did he say you'll know the difference because this other guy has some scratches on his cheeks? Yeah, I think he did. And so that leads the evil Kirk to do something in the cabin, (laughs) doesn't it? Yeah, he goes over to the mirror and looks at the scratches on his face and he looks down and there's uh, makeup there. That uh... Yeah, so I I actually (laughs) thought he was still in Rand's quarters when I saw that. I had to kind of go back and look at that to see that he was in his quarters. Why does Kirk keep makeup, uh, concealer, essentially? in his quarters. And I was, the only thing I could come up with is, you know, want to cover up a hickey or, you know, have a breakout <laughs> of acne, uh, you know. I don't, uh, or some space fungus, maybe. Yeah, you know. I th- and hey, I, I got no problem with the guy wearing makeup. It was just kind of odd. When he opens the door to his, uh, to Kirk's room, there's a, a, a ensign walking by. He uh, calls him by name. And so he says, uh, oh, he goes, I need your phaser. And so the guy kind of looks at him and then he's the captain. So Gives him the phaser. Bad Kirk is trying to make some small talk with him, uh, get him off guard. And he's looking at the phaser and all of a sudden he punches the guy. And then again, when the guy falls down, he hits him again. So, Well, here's the other thing about that scene. Good Kirk had just made the announcement from the bridge. And this guy's walking down the hall seconds later and he doesn't think, Hmm. Could this be the evil Kirk? Is could this be the imposter? How Maybe could he his headphones in? And uh... Maybe. <laughs> yeah. we go back to the planet. Sulu says it's twenty below zero when he's talking to Good Kirk, and he's just kind of standing there. He's got one foot up on a rock and he's uh, shaking a little bit. But other than that, he's got—I mean—he's just got his uniform on. I've been in like ten below zero weather, and I can tell you, I didn't want to. I had layers and layers of clothes on, <laughs> stocking cap, fifty pairs of socks. I was still thinking I was going to die. The other thing too about that whole scene is that the writer of this episode didn't have that in the original script. Oh. Oh, yeah. And he did not like it. He he wanted a more linear story and uh, yeah. more interactions with Bad Kirk and the crew. He Yeah, he wanted the emphasis to be just on Kirk. And he, he thought that William Shatner's acting was brilliant. Back on the ship, Kirk is in the conference room now with uh, Spock. I, I was thinking, if you knew where the good Kirk was, wouldn't you just kind of isolate him in one area just so you always knew where he was? Yeah, you just know? leave him on the bridge or yeah. something and, and have an armed guard. Right at the turbo lift. Kirk says, isn't there something we can do for them? And Spock says, we sent down heaters, but they duplicated when when we sent them down and they just don't work now. You also came up with a a huge plot hole in this episode, didn't you? There's the the shuttlecraft. And, And in reading about it today, they were saying that the shuttlecraft didn't exist yet. I guess in the drawings, there was a shuttle bay. And so, which implies you're putting something in there that's a shuttle. Someone online said something like, maybe it was just out of commission. It wasn't working that day. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Just all kinds of stuff going 
going wrong. And Scotty can only work on so many things at once. Yeah. It's, uh... Well, unless they duplicated him and then there could be a couple of Scotties. <laughs> what would the bad Scotty be? You know, just. Oh my uh... gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you would not want to tangle with that dude. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. He'd be wearing a kilt. He'd have like a sword <laughs> running around the ship, beheading people. Drinking scotch, singing oh, Scottish just... songs. Yeah, it'd be ugly. Making haggis in the kitchen. Oh, the replicators are just, <laughs> yeah. just going over time. Spock and Kirk hear the news that uh, Wilson, guy that Bad Kirk beat up again, he's been knocked out and they and that Bad Kirk has his phaser. Spock says to Kirk, we need to outguess him. He's your other half. What would you do? And Kirk says, I would go to the engine room. Kirk and Spock move forward, got their phasers. When they're in the engine room, they pass by one of the things looks like a giant computer and bad Kirk is up on top of it. For some reason, Good Kirk and Spock split up. Again, just like you brought up earlier, wouldn't you isolate the Good Kirk and then you split up? No, I, this just does not seem to be good protocol. Good Kirk's walking around and then uh, he hears a noise and turns back and he sees Bad Kirk. Good Kirk says, you know, you can't hurt me. Bad Kirk's like, I don't need you. Raises his phaser and as he prepares to fire, Spock comes around the corner. Maybe this was Spock's idea all, all along. Use uh, Good Kirk for bait essentially just just stick him out there like yeah he might get shot he might not but hey maybe this is how i get command of the star <laughs> so he uh sneaks up behind him does the vulcan nerve pinch but right when he does bad kirk fires and hits a big tube uh, and, and you see it uh disintegrates part of it there's wires and pipes inside and uh it doesn't look good so it's they, clear that his phaser was not unstunned it was not unstunned and they take him up to uh Sick bay. In sick bay, bad Kirk's sedated and he's a uh, good Kirk says he doesn't know what's wrong with him. He's getting weaker. Spock comes up and says, you're losing the ability to make decisions. McCoy kind of snaps and says, Spock, do you have a point? He's what we're seeing is the duality of man. And it's almost like he wants to use this as an experiment. McCoy seems a little peeved by these comments. McCoy comes up and says, you know, when Kirk seems more waffly, says, you know, you've got intellect and you can fight with that. Kirk responds, for how long? I thought this was interesting. Uh, Spock says, excuse me, Captain, if I seem insensitive, it's just the way I am. Scotty tells Kirk that uh, somebody blasted a hole in one of the uh, transporter ionizers. <laughs> and they, they don't even say anything. It's like the kid who breaks something yeah. and the parents say, yes, this got broke. And the kid doesn't say anything. Kirk doesn't say anything. Spock doesn't say anything. Yeah, yeah we no, we weren't down there. That wasn't us. Yeah. I mean, they I say know, nothing about it. I don't know it. how that happened. That's a bitch. And don't you think they would have reported that in the first place? Like, yeah. oh, yeah, Scotty, we blew a hole in some what looks like maybe important equipment down in your <laughs> engine room. But no, Scotty just has to, like, he's working on the transporter. Now there's another problem. He has to go down to the lower decks and he finds this huge hole. And of course, he says it's going to take, uh, the transporter won't be able to be fixed for a week. Back on the planet, we get into some of uh, Sulu's uh, witticisms here. Good Kirk is talking to him. Sulu says it's negative 41 degrees. Kirk says they're going to get him and it won't be much longer. And Sulu says, can you get a long rope and lower some coffee down? And then we go back to sick bay. McCoy tells good Captain Kirk that bad Captain Kirk is dying. Way that they're, they're constructed, he can't survive like this. Being uh, split, you mean. And then bad Kirk from the bed says, help me. Kirk goes over 
over and takes his hand and holds his hand and says, I'm here. I'm not going to leave your side. All of a sudden, Bad Kirk's vitals return to normal. Spock calls him to the transporter. Bad Kirk smiles when they leave. I thought that was very telling. He's hatching a plan. They get to the transporter room. They plan to send the horned dog through. Spock and <laughs> Scotty think that they've got this Wait, resolved. Sorry, the, the horned dog? <laughs> <laughs> the dog with the horn on its head. <laughs> okay, just want to clarify that. Because I'm thinking, who, which character is that? Not quite, not quite sure. So they've got an idea where they can send the good and the bad dog together through the transporter and see what happens when they bring it back. But uh, they they've got to anesthetize that the bad dog first, right? Yeah, so they open the crate. Spock says something like, grab him by the scruff. And so then they uh, pick it up and carry it over and put it on the transporter pad with the other dog. Clearly a stuffed animal. I mean, it already looked dead. They're pressing the fake stuffed dog together with the real dog to try to get him to sit down <laughs> next to each other on the transporter pad. And I was like, this just, it's, <laughs> no, it's not, not working. They send the dog through the transporter. And they bring him back. And it's one dog. McCoy runs over to the dog and says the famous line, he's dead, Jim. And it's about a dog, not even about a person. <laughs> There's a, a problem with the dog being dead, right? Yeah, because it's dead. <laughs> and that doesn't bode well for Kirk going through with his double. So back on the planet, we have uh, Sulu wrapped up in the blankets, and he turns to one of the guys next to him and says, we better call room service. That coffee should have been here by now. Sulu's keeping the, the troops going. Kirk goes into the room where bad Kirk is. He's going to unstrap him. To, and again, don't know why you would just send him in there by himself, but he goes in by himself to unstrap bad Kirk and take him to the transporter pad. Bad Kirk says he won't fight anymore. And of course you believe him. He gets up from the bed and acts like he's going to faint. Good Kirk tries to catch him. Bad Kirk starts fighting him. Bad Kirk actually knocks out Good Kirk. Then he scratches his face. So now it's going to be impossible to tell who's who. Now he also changes his top, puts on the green top like uh, Good Kirk he goes down the hall and runs into Yeoman Ranch. She's obviously a little skittish. And he says, uh, I'm really sorry about what happened before. And he tries to say, you know, there's a bad Kirk on the ship. And he goes, look, you know, he scratched my face. So you know, couldn't tell us part, but you know, it's all under control now. He says, maybe I can come to your room later on and we can talk about it. My God. And she's just like, well, okay. And he gets on the turbo lift. He gets up on the bridge and tells the helmsman set course to, you know, get the hell out of here. And the helmsman's like, what? What? We got men down there. He's like, well, we can't save them. We're moving on. All of a sudden, Good Kirk shows up. And the bad Kirk is like, no, he's the imposter. You know, it's it's obvious. They start arguing and the bad Kirk starts screaming at him. I'm the captain. Don't you understand? I'm captain of the ship. It's my ship. My ship. It's mine. Good Kirk comes down, Bad Kirk's holding a phaser on him, and he says, you know, we cannot exist. Good Kirk says, we cannot exist without each other. We have to take a chance. Takes the phaser away from Bad Kirk. So they get uh, the Kirks on the transporter, and they beam them out. They bring them back, and there's only one. Spock goes to him, and the first thing that he says is, we need to get those men off the planet. Here's something that uh, I thought was interesting. The next scene, they, you know, they do a cut, and they're showing these guys being carried off on stretchers. And they show Sulu. And McCoy's standing there, 
and says severe exposure and frostbite. I think they'll make it. <laughs> and, and I put more emotion into those lines than McCoy did. After McCoy says that, he asked Kirk, how do you feel? Kirk says, I've seen a part of myself no man should ever see. So the show ends with everybody back on the bridge. Yeoman Rand is carrying around one of the uh, iPad things and brings it over to Spock and shows it to him and he makes a check on it. He says something that is so unspock-like and the way he says it is so unspock-like. The imposter had some interesting qualities, wouldn't you say? She takes the pad away and uh, walks off in a huff. To me, it sounded like, how did you like being raped? Yeah, the, the implication there was really horrible. So this is something that I have a huge problem with. There's just a lot of good things in this show, but a few things in it kind of ruined it for me. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. This was one for me. You know, it seems like in many episodes of Star Trek, they like to end on a humorous note. They'll be on the bridge. McCoy will say something to Spock. Spock will say something back. Kirk will say something funny. This just wasn't funny. I, I totally agree. It ruined the episode, I think. Hey, should we talk about some of the best parts and worst parts for us? Sure. One of the best parts for me was that dog costume. How about for you? How about a best part? Sulu's humor. Being able to crack jokes in the face of adversity. One of the worst parts for me, absolutely, we both mentioned it, was Spock indicating that Rand liked what happened to her in her cabin. Horrible. Absolutely horrible. How about a worst part for you? Other than Spock's comment, Sulu on the planet at 20 below zero, stand there like he's got a cool breeze coming his way. Just took me out of reality with that. I, I actually kind of laughed out loud. Dead crewman count. We're to that part of the show. Does the dog count? This may be more of a philosophical question, Dana, that we need to answer. <laughs> Does the dog count? Well, your point was early on, was the dog from the planet or did Sulu bring him down? If Sulu brought him from the ship, then I would say, yes, the dog counts. If they're kidnapping the dog, like stealing it from its homeland, where apparently it would have family, that wouldn't be good either, right? That they're just kidnapping yeah. this dog, then it wouldn't count. So if we do count it, we have to make the assumption that it was... Sulu dog. And I think we can't, un unfortunately, as much as I would love to make that assumption, I don't think we could make that assumption. True. Can you imagine after you get Sulu off the planet where he has almost died and then he's like, where's my dog? <laughs> <laughs> well, we used him for an experiment. <laughs> See, yeah, and he didn't make it. So I think ultimately we cannot, unfortunately, I think we cannot count the dog as as grateful for the dog's service, I don't think we can count it in the dead the dead crewman count. What do you think? No, I, the more I think about it, I suspect we can't. Well, zero this week, total of 17 in five episodes, a little over three per episode still. So uh, the count is going, the average is going down. I'm hoping we work on that and get that to come up again. Not that I want crew members to die, but you know, I think it's interesting <laughs> when, when they do. I've got a couple notes on what was going on. Uh, this show aired October 6th, 1966. Uh, I was curious about what was big in the theaters. Last week, we talked about music. Dr. Zhivago, the great David Lean film, was number one at the box office. LSD was declared illegal by the state of California. And there was also the love pageant rally took place in the panhandle of the Golden Gate Park. Any details on what that pageant was, Dana? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I saw the headline and I thought, let's run with that. So Yeah, let's just go with that. <laughs> <laughs>
I think we need to, in all seriousness, talk a little bit about this Yeoman Rand situation and actually the the actress, Grace Lee Whitney, who played Yeoman Rand. So she wrote a book called The Longest Trek, My Tour of the Galaxy. And in this book, she talks about a sexual assault that she endured by someone from the show, someone she refers to as, quote, the executive. She never names this person, but said it was an executive at the studio who had his own office. And after filming of the episode Miri, he asks her to come to his office to talk about her career. In that meeting, he sexually assaults her. This is really obviously disturbing and really disturbing in light of the episode that we just saw. This had severe impacts on her life. She was no longer on the show after this. Just cut. She struggled with drugs and alcohol for many years um, before she was able to come out of that spiral. You and I have both read the excerpt from uh, her book about this. I'm glad I didn't read it before I saw the this episode because I don't know if I could have finished the episode. I'll never look at this episode the same again. So ultimately, Grace Lee Whitney's story is one of survival. And she talks about that in her book. She also attended Star Trek conventions and was apparently one of the most outgoing people at the conventions, very friendly and always willing to talk with her fans and loved being a part of Star Trek. When they made the movie, Star Trek, the motion picture, both William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy asked that she be part of the crew. Yeah. And we'd also like to let any of our listeners know if you or anyone you know is the victim of sexual assault, please reach out to organizations that can help you. One is RAIN, R-A-I-N-N dot org, RAIN.org. You can call them at 800-656-4673. That's 800-656-4673. Or if you go to their website, RAIN.org, again, R-A-I-N-N.org, there's a live chat function. And we really encourage you to reach out and seek help. All right, Dana, that wraps up this week. Uh, Next week, we have Mud's Women. The introduction to Harcourt Fenton Mud, one of the uh, Enterprise's nemesises. Nemesises? Nemesis. <laughs> one of the chief nemesises. Holy crap, I can't say that. One of the <laughs> All right, let's do that part over again. <laughs> yeah. It's the introduction to Harcourt Fenton Mud. All right, Dana. Thanks again. Have a great rest of your week, and I'll see you next week. Got another one in the books. And thanks to all our listeners and everybody who's been uh, writing us. Keep the emails and messages coming. We greatly appreciate it. And JJ, we're still waiting to hear from you. All right, Dana, take care. Talk to you later. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please email us at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-A-M-N-I-T podcast at gmail.com. You can also join the discussion on our Facebook page. Once again, for Dan and Dana, have a great week and live long and prosper.